evening, everyone. I'd like to call the Economic Development Subcommittee's Steering Committee meeting uh, for December 14th to order time being 5.47. Tonight, uh, first, first a note to all residents. All residents are welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Additionally, in an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone or Zoom. The meeting will also be live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29. You can access the, the URL to log in on the, the agenda at tonight's meeting. It's on the, the, um, the town website. You can call in at 1-929-205-6099 and the, I, the, mem, the meeting ID number is 871-3367-1757, then press the pound. That's 871-3367-1757, then press pound. Welcome everyone. So tonight we have a presentation on Chapter 40, our smart growth and zone, zoning and housing production. Um, if you remember, we got to pick our, um, our recommendations that we wanted to talk about. And one of the suggestions was to have someone come in and talk to us about 40R and what it meant. And so tonight we have a presentation by Mark Bobrowski, I think I said it right. Um, sorry, Mark, if I did not say it right. About uh, 40R and uh, smart growth, growth zoning. So I'm gonna pass it over to you and let you begin. Very good, thank you very much. Um, get, how's my volume? Can everybody hear me? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can hear you, we can hear you. Uh, first, I just wanna let everybody okay. know that the whole, the whole committee is here in chambers with us tonight. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Thank you. Can, go ahead, Mark. Okay. So, um, I think somebody volunteered to tee up the uh, PowerPoint presentation, and if that's not been done, let's, let's do that now. Meanwhile, I'll say a few introductory remarks about Chapter 40R. But th this law came out of a, uh, came out of nowhere, really. I think it was uh, passed as an amendment to the budget back in around 2004. Nobody had a clue what it meant at DHCD. It took the better part of a year or two to get the regulations in place so that we could start working with it. It essentially is about housing production and, and not more. You can do a mixed-use project under 40R, but DHCD is, views it as a tool to um, produce housing and, and produce housing on a more friendly basis than a hostile Chapter 40B comprehensive permit application. Because the, the key here is that you have to go along and get along with the private sector in order for this to work. So I've done about 15 40Rs. There's probably about 35, 40 at this point. And I have to say that when it works, it's among the more enjoyable experiences that a board, a town, and a lawyer can have. Whether I'm working for the municipality, which has been about half the time, or I'm working for the developer, which is the other half of the time. I don't think 40R works as a prescriptive tool. In other words, it takes two to tango. 
So my experience has always been there's a developer on the other side, or I represent the developer, and we have a specific parcel and a specific idea. And we want the zoning to be changed to allow our idea to go forward. Now typically when a developer does that, they put pen to paper and they know on a financial basis whether or not the pro forma works or not. That's why they're there. They want to make a buck. On the other hand, if a municipality tries to guess what would work without really any experts helping them to put together a proposal, I, don't, I just don't see that as being viable in the vast majority of cases. I'm reminded that in the old days, of uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, there was a zoning tool called a plan unit about PUD. And many municipalities just sort of drafted PUD bylaws without a live body to talk to about it. And they never got anything. It, no, nothing ever happened because nobody could make it work the way the municipality envisioned it working. So it's the same basic idea. You have to, in my experience, have somebody uh, that, that owns a piece of property that they want to develop and, and or the municipality has surplus property and it runs a beauty contest for people to come forward with a 40-hour application. So let's go to the PowerPoint and I'll sort of walk you through it. And feel free to stop me at any point and ask questions. Oh, thank you, Mark. Can I ask you a question? So, um, so, so you, what you're saying is that it should come from the person who owns the who owns the property, um, or and is there any expectation for the town, the municipality, to say like, hey, we're we're actually open to a 40R? Well, the, the question is, how do you get that? How do you get? from we're open to a 40R to a 40R application. A very good idea came out of 40B 15 years ago. The town manager of Shrewsbury was nearing the finish line, 10%, and he was tired of getting nickel and dime on small projects. Uh, so what he did was he sent out an invitation for uh, development proposals. Uh, he, it really was a, an, an RFP, a request for proposals. Mm -hmm. But he didn't have a specific piece of property in mind. And what he wanted was Avalon. I was working for Fairfield at the time. He wanted the big boys to come in with an idea, a couple of hundred units, that would march him ever closer to the 10% number. So he had a beauty contest. Avalon came in with a parcel. We came in with a parcel. They liked Avalon's better. And they chose Avalon to go forward with. They, they had a safe harbor under Chapter 40B. so they didn't have to mess mess around. They could pick and choose who they wanted to deal with. And I thought that was a really good way to use 40B to the town's advantage, not just to lay yourself down on the road and hope you don't get run over. Okay. So uh, my, general, my general expectation is that a developer either owns the property or they have it under agreement, and now they want to do something and typically it's not something that's allowed in the zoning book today. So okay. 40R helps fill that void. Okay, thank you. So, so the you're, 40, you're, four, yeah, you're, you're, uh, your presentation is up. I just got Not your time is up. Not your time. <laughs> Are you there? We can see, we can see you're on um, page two. Okay. All right, so I'm on what is chapter 40R? Right. And obviously it's, a, it's all about housing. I've already said that. 
So uh, the, the, the good news for communities that choose to do 40R is that there is money available to the community. More on that in a moment. The first thing that you have to worry about under 40R is eligibility. And eligibility is all based on location. So the eligible locations include a half a mile around a train station. That's the typical one. It could be a bus or a ferry station like in Hingham or down on the South Shore. Um, but the, the idea is that it's trans, transit uh, node friendly. The second type of eligible area is something that's been previously developed, an area of concentrated development. Think 50% under asphalt or impervious surface. That's a typical example. And I've got examples to follow here in a minute. And then the third is qualified as highly suitable. And essentially that means it's not category one and it's not category two, but DHCD, the supervising state agency, thinks it's a worthwhile location to go forward. So here's an example of a location near transit. This is downtown Haverhill. I've been Haverhill Lane Square for 25 years. I did all of 40 R work for them back in the early, the mid 2000s, uh, 2005, 2006. And that's the brand new train station that they've got on the track going north. Um, they had a couple of sites that were really perfect for 40 R. They had a, a, a nice uh, building that was owned by a New York real estate uh, uh, investment firm and they converted, the, it's called Forest City, they converted it into 200 units of apartments and uh, amenities in the common space. Uh, they also uh, worked a deal with uh, Beacon Properties to convert an old shoe factory called the Cordovan to 140 units and the Archdiocese stepped in and they put in another 70 units in an old mill building. Uh, Haverhill was known as Shoe City, if you don't know that. So uh, there's a lot of old factories that could be reused. Uh, the second is an area of concentrated development. It always makes people misty-eyed when I remind them that Lincoln Park was an amusement park down in Dartmouth. Maybe people have been there. And I, when I walked the site, that roller coaster was still standing. Uh, this was done by the town uh, with a developer. Uh, they, I think it's over 300 units. There's a picture of the proposed project on the right-hand side. And the, uh, I'd say it's about half done. Mixed use up in front. Route 6 is the frontage there. And it's a little bit towards the Westport side of things, so it's been a little slower to develop than the site of Route 6, more, more close to New Bedford. And then the most recent example of a highly suitable location is the driving range at uh, Kelly Boulevard in North Attleboro. My firm worked with North Attleboro and Marcus Partners, uh, a, a private company, to get this through DHCD. The vote for the zoning approval was November 21st at the North Attleboro Town Council. Like you, they've gone over the city's form of government. Uh, and they're now beginning the plan approval process for a 311 unit project uh, going forward. And here's a little bit more about the North Attleboro uh, site, 13.7 acres. Uh, I, it's right on the Plainville line. There's a driving range on it with batting cages, miniature golf. Essentially, all of the site will be used for affordable housing. It's very little wet, less than an acre of wetlands. Um, and 
Yeah, we worked very closely with the planning board. I, I represented Marcus Partners. We represented uh, Marcus Partners with the planning board and the town manager and, and the town council. It's a good experience, and I'm sure that it'll be a good project when it comes out of the ground. There is public water and sewer there. There were some traffic issues, but we agreed as part of the deal that we would uh, go for a MassWorks grant to try to get some traffic improvements from the state discretionary funding program. Again, this is just focusing on North Delaware because I changed the power plant more recently for them. That's the site. You can see it has frontage on Sunny Boulevard and on another small side street. You map the district. This is so easy to map. It's 13.7 acres. We're doing 311 units. If you divide 311 units by 13.7, it comes out to a density of, I'm going to skip that and come back. It comes out to a density of uh, 22.74 units per acre. So let me go back. This is mandatory density under Chapter 40R. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's no negotiation here. So DHCD will want to see eight units of single family uh, housing per acre, 12 units for two or three bedroom dwellings. I wish it was two, three, or four because I think it would work better, but it's only two and three unit residential use. And then if it's multifamily, which is four and up, they want to see 20 units per acre. So you have to hit these numbers. You can, obviously, this is a minimum density. You can do much more than this. In Haverhill, for example, we took the Forest City building and it's on a 1.5 acre site. It's 15 stories tall, 10, 15 stories tall. When you subtract out 20% of the building's square footage for common areas, elevator shafts, things of that sort, you know, you're left with a density there of something on the order of 160 units an acre. But that's just the math. That's the way it works. You have to come in with a minimum of 20 for multifamily. And again, non-negotiable. So here's what 8 units, 12 units, and 20 units an acre looks like, just to give people who work in familiarity with what to expect. And the density that you're looking for here is net developable acres, uh, net developable units. So if there's any allowance in the existing zoning for some of these units, those are not units that count for the purposes of uh, computing payments, for example. The, the units have to be newly allowed under the 40 yards of, uh, and it just turned out that all of the Kelly Boulevard new units would be or were not allowed under the existing zoning and would count as new units under chapter 49. you'll see how that works in the so the first thing you have to do is map the district um there's an application so you're doing two things here you're, you're filling out a dhcd application which can be downloaded from online and you're also filling out uh, or making out a zoning bylaw for your 40r district there is a, a, a fill in the blanks kind of 40R zoning bylaw that DHCD will send and pretty non-negotiable with regard to the affordability requirements and the procedures under chapter 40R. But the most important thing to remember here is that the bylaw is fairly easy to write if the town and the developer agree on the plan. So if you like the plan and the developer is willing to build the plan it's just a matter of putting words to the picture 
And for example, if the buildings are four stories, you put in the dimension will not exceed four stories uh, of the building. If the buildings uh, are going to have elevators, you put that in the bylaw. If the building spacing is 25 feet between structures, you put that in the bylaw. And it predicts itself pretty simply that way. But it all assumes that you're going to, you know, that you're getting a loss as you go through the process. So the size and shape of the district depends on the proposal, but in a fairly simple, straightforward case, like the one in North Attleboro, it's, the map is not a concern at all. In fact, this is the zoning map. And it's uh, got frontage over to the left-hand side on Kelly Boulevard. And on the, <coughs> I can't, my, my glasses are not with me here. It's got two long little stems. Kelly Boulevard is on the south, and there's a second road on the left-hand side a minor street that intersects with Kelly Boulevard. So there's, that, that is essentially the boundary of the, of the parcel, the property. Um, the bylaw, as I said, if anybody wants to see the North Attleboro bylaw, I'd be happy to send it to you. It's got the kitchen sink in it in terms of uh, what the town wanted. And they did take control of some things like design standards uh and directed us to put in certain design standards that they like so you can see that fifth bullet on the right hand side under the book there is design standards so affordability is the key as far as dhcd is concerned the statute says that only 20 percent of the units have to be affordable but most towns that are approving a rental project under 40 are want 25% of the units to be affordable because like a 40B, if you do 25% affordable, 100% of the units count towards your subsidized housing inventory 10% number. It's really non-negotiable. It's become uh, non-negotiable. Anytime a rental project under 40 hours posted, even though it doesn't have to be, it is 25% affordable. Affordable means on the right hand column, lower box, that they're uh, eligible to be occupied by households earning less than 80% of area median income, adjusted for household size. And the easy way to put that is that they count on DHCD subsidized housing inventory because that inventory folds in all of these standards. I don't think I've seen a 40R for sale. There might be one, but I haven't seen one. So the approval process here is pretty straightforward. The application is not the developer's application. That would be the case, but it's the town's application. So the developer and the town are working very closely in concert here. Normally, like in North Attleboro, we made out the application, the developer side, and we prepared the zoning bylaw. We then gave it to the town to review and to edit and revise as they saw fit. But the staff is busy doing other things, and we're more expert in doing this than they are because we've done it, in my firm at least, we've done it 12, 15 times before. So the first step is that the municipality's chief elected um, 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 official, which in your case would be the town council, holds a public hearing. And the public hearing is really about the application. Should we send in the application to DHCD? The 
Second step is to uh, actually get this information together. It's not an easy application. I mean, it's going to take the better part of a month if you've got a warm candidate to help you through the process. A lot of what you, you would require is coming from their engineer. And so I know you have a town engineer, but they would cooperate to get the application together. Once it goes into the state, step three, um, the state takes roughly about 90 days to review it. The gentleman uh, in Boston at the HCD, who was program director for 40 hours, uh, named Bill Rayl, R-E-Y-E-L-T, very uh, wonderful guy to work with. Um, but he's got a lot to do, and so it basically takes about 90 days. Bill is looking at two things. He's looking at the application, and he's looking at the zoning bylaw. When he's satisfied that the application is complete and he's reviewed the zoning bylaw for consistency with the HCD's goals, he will issue a confirmation letter, and that basically lets the town move forward to the next step. It's not worth it to move to the next step until Bill gives you the letter, because if you change the zoning, he's going to spend more time reviewing the amended zoning. So you want to get it right, and you want to get it right only once. Once he's approved it, it basically at that point in time goes to the planning board for a public hearing like any zoning amendment. And then once the planning board holds the public hearing, it has to be adopted in your town by town council. It is a 50% vote of town council. It was two thirds until January of last year, but statute was amended and it is now 50 plus one percent. And once the town council in your case approves it, within 10 days of approval, the state kicks out the zoning incentive payment. Don't quote me on the 10 days, but that's what's supposed to happen. So if you were doing if you were doing a project like North Attleboro, which had 300 units, you can see that we blew it up there, 200, and it's a slot payment, 201 to 500 units. North Attleboro earned a payment of $350,000. If there's infrastructure that is required for the project to go forward, the slot payment may have to wait until the infrastructure is provided. For example, if there's water promised to the site, but that pipe isn't in the ground yet, you would probably have to wait to get the 350. But DHCB will give you the 350 and you can use that towards putting the pipe in the ground. If you don't need that kind of infrastructure uh, because you've got it all in place already, you can expect the payment uh, relatively quickly after the vote of town council to approve the 40 yard. The second payment here is a one-time payment called a density bonus payment of $3,000 for each unit, net new unit, uh, in the 40-yard district. So in North Attleboro, all 311 units are net new units because no housing was allowed in that district previously. 3,000 times 311 is $933,000. When the building permits are issued for the 311 units, North Attleboro can expect a total payment of $1.283 million. I think downtown Haverhill is probably the poster boy for these payments. I know they've gotten over a million to fix. 
understand that. It's the way the project is designed to work. The final approval here, um, when the project is approved by town council and the planning board does uh, hold a public hearing on the zoning amendment and the town council votes for it, the next step is called plan approval. It's equivalent to site plan approval. Remember, the state's already given you, in your case, $350,000. So they don't want to see any impediment between the adoption of the zoning and the approval of the plan. That's why it's not a special permit or any, any other kind of a discretionary permit. It's a site plan equivalent. And the planning board holds public hearing. They can impose conditions on the applicant. What they can't do is deny it because, as I said, the state's already kicked out 350. So you've got to be willing, as you go through the negotiation process with the developer, to accept the final proposal and, it, and work very hard to make sure that the final development looks like the final proposal because you're going to end up living with it. Uh, and I should also mention that as far as a butter appeals are concerned, there is a draconian bond provision in Chapter 40R in the statute itself that says that any abutter who chooses to appeal has to post a bond equal to two times the carrying costs and two times the attorney's fees expected for the defense of the permit. It's not your, it's not your normal 40A, 40B process. Yet. The uh, Supreme Judicial Court just today decided that a bond is also an acceptable thing in a 40B case. My partner, Jonathan Silverstein, argued it in front of the court, and uh, I, haven't, I haven't read it entirely yet, but it looks like an interesting read. <clears throat> so that's the gist of it. I, I always think of it as a, putting on a school play. Everybody knows their part. If I were you and a developer came to me and they said I want to do a 40 yard and you knew that as town council members you were going to have to vote for this eventually, I would want to know up front what's the traffic going to be like, what's the situation with infrastructure, how much noise will there be, and I would want those answers at the meeting I was expected to vote for or before the meeting I was expected to vote for. So it's not uncommon to ask the developer for a little bit of money under chapter 44, section 53G, so that when the developer comes in with the traffic engineer and he says, no problem, you've got some dough to pay your own traffic engineer and say, all right, we agree with you, or we don't agree with you, even more importantly. And it's also important for things like stormwater and uh, you know the usual stuff we worry about on every zoning app. But if you're, if you're on, the, uh, on the town council and you're expected to just go into a meeting and take the developer's word that this is all gonna work out, that, that doesn't work for me. And I've been on my planning board and I, I usually abstain if they were expecting me to make that kind of judgment call without solid information on which to base my vote. Okay, well, well thank you, um, Mark, for that informative presentation. I'm going to ask the panel if they have any questions for you. And um, Councilor Frangillo has some questions. Sure. Thank you for uh, coming and speaking with us. Uh, all right. So I, I want to speak something back to you and, and have you confirm and then 
Um, and then I, I think I have a follow-up follow up if I'm right. So there are two ways to look at uh, 40R. One is a way for the developer uh, to approach us um, for a specific you know, parcel and consider that as a 40R project. Uh, the other is uh, design a 40R district, say here's, a, here's an area where we'll accept 40R projects and welcome developers uh, into that. Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I would put much heavier emphasis on the first. I, I don't, unless you have a crystal ball with regard to the second option, and you know that there's a parcel that a developer wants to run with, it's just, you're just, you know, you're just guessing and hoping that somebody will take advantage of it. I, I actually like what Dan Morgado did up in Shrewsbury more than your option, too. I would send out a manager's uh, a RFP saying Franklin's interested in having a 40R. Um, eligible persons are welcome to provide us with all the information they have at their disposal, and we'll let you know if we pick somebody. Cost you nothing. Did they do that for a specific parcel, or they just said in general, like look anywhere in no. our city, you no. can find a place? No. That's exactly what Dan, the town manager's name was Dan Morgado, and I was, I thought it was a brilliant idea. And we actually responded to it with a, a 40B proposal. This was, a, his idea was under 40B, but it's the same thing would work under 40R. You don't have, I mean, many times developers will come and they'll signal that they want to develop something at a specific location, but a lot of times you don't even know if the property's for sale, and it may be the buyer who has the idea, not the owner today. So, yeah. so for, for example, here's a really good example. Uh, the town of Norwell is, is thinking next week, after, after the first of the year, they're thinking about buying St. Teresa's Roman Catholic Church. Uh, apparently the asking price is gonna be somewhere in the range of $9 million. I doubt very much that they can afford that without flipping some part of the tract back to the private sector, and they'll be wanting a, a good idea from the lucky winner of that lottery. Yeah, uh, you you had um, mentioned Haverhill as a as a poster boy. Uh, one other that we had been suggested to look at was uh, Reading. So they're a similar outer ring suburb, uh, you know, relatively similar characteristics. I believe both of those are 40R overlay districts, right? They're saying that like, here's an area where we want to encourage uh, yep. development and they then welcomed projects into that. Do I have that right? You know? Right, but when we did Haverhill, we knew Forest City, the Cordovan, and the Archdiocese property were teed up and they were gonna go forward. So we made them sub-districts. Each has its own density, each has its own boundary and they were players in helping us to do that. The rest of the downtown, we just sort of generically hoped. And, and frankly, nothing's happened in the rest of the downtown. But those three parcels have you know, been an enormous benefit to the city of Averill, and they all developed under 40 on. I guess I'm interested in better understanding your, your fear of the, the hope piece. Um, certainly, if there's a project uh, where a developer can 
uh, approach us um, and, and work out, the, you know, that's fantastic. And that's true whether we do something or not. We as a body are interested in, in welcoming certain types of development uh, to our town. I'm uh, struggling to see where it hurts us uh, to set the stipulations that we want and say, hey, we're, we're open, um, come to the district if you have a project that fits. It sounds like worst case, nothing happens. Well, you know, I do a lot of work in 40B as well. And my developers, when I work on the private side, always do what's, what's called a one-stop application. And it's a key part of the application process for a project eligibility letter. And it really is an economic snapshot of where they hope to come in uh, at the end of the approval process. They and they alone, in my experience, can do that with the confidence required to do it right. I can't do it. I mean, I've been doing this for 37 years. I can't do it. And I don't have that kind of chutzpah either. Uh, well, I always look at developers as just remarkable people who are willing to put their family on the line every day. That's kind of what they do. So for me to try to guess what's going to work for somebody else based on an abstract concept, I, I, I don't my experience tells me that that's dangerous. Okay, yeah, I mean, but it, it sounds like the danger is that, again, that nothing would happen, that we would somehow misshoot and make it so that yeah. projects aren't feasible. But it, in that scenario, right. they could just approach us and say, here's why it doesn't work, and we create a subdivision, right? In the exact way they did in April? Yeah, I mean, they can, well, no, they didn't. They didn't. What, that's something that's if, if you got it wrong. Specific unit. If, yeah, if, if you got it wrong, well, don't forget, any amendments have to go back to DHCD. So you're, you're opening up a new clock, and it's bad enough to open it up one time, let alone two times. <laughs> so it's a slow process. It's very painstaking. So if you, if you amend, a sub-district or a district in order to uh, try to hit the mark a little bit more on target, you're going to wait, you know, 90 days to 120 days again, and you're going to have to have another vote. The, it, that was true anyway, right? If we didn't do anything, we'd have to wait that 90 to 100 days for them to do it. Yeah. Yep. So, so it sounds yep. like the, yep. the worst part would just be, just be wasted time, is your... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. My, my my fear on the on the flip side is it seems as though right we are, you're in favor of sorry I'm taking up a lot of time I, I can I'm genuinely this is this is very uh, very interesting but so you seem to be in favor of uh, waiting for someone to come to us my fear in that scenario um, and I, I like this sort of third option of sort of going out and just seeing. Uh, what's out there as, a, as a, an interesting piece, but in terms of waiting for someone to come to us and then working directly with them, that sounds like there's a lot of sort of soft costs built into that, and that the only uh, developers able to to even take that process on are uh, those with you know very deep pockets coming in. 
uh, as opposed to, that, that seems like a certain type of developer that really has the means of like working with us for a long time to like make things work for them, as opposed to saying like, hey, if you can make it work within this space, that might allow you know more local developers, more small developers, you know, save some upfront uh, you know soft costs um, to then come in and buy a project that works. Yeah, there's all different types out there. I, I worked with a gentleman in Norwood, right on the northbound side of the tracks in downtown, had a outfit called Regal Printing. It was born in an era when you could have a three-floor publishing house. He moved out to the industrial districts on Route 1 long ago. The building was just sitting there. It made a beautiful apartment building. It's only 50 units. You know, for him, it was a good reuse of the building. And then on the other side, you know, obviously, the more the bigger the company, the more likely uh, they can bear the soft costs. You're right, but they but Norwood did not impose a heavy burden of soft costs on Regal Press for a 50 unit 40R in downtown on the train station. Yeah, I mean you can you can throw a rock and hit the train station. Yeah. All right, I appreciate it. Um, I think Attorney Sorrell has a response as yeah, well. Yeah, hi Mark, Mark Sorrell. I just wanted to talk. Hey Mark. Hi, I wanted to talk to you on what you were saying and indicate perhaps that that mandatory affordability component as a driver here in terms of the calculations and only a developer looking at the project can really sense what will work and what won't because of that factor alone. Um, well, they, you know, if they clearly know that they're going to have to do 25% on the rental project. So um, they, they've probably got a pro forma sitting on a desk somewhere and they're, um, you know, they're going to no, no, uh, my, my point is negotiate. Why you wouldn't go ahead and just do put it in place yourself without having somebody in mind or a project proposed because of that, the complexity involved in those calculations. I, I you know, I, I don't want to discourage you from doing it without somebody pushing back on the other side. If you think you've got the right parcel and the right idea, like the gentleman just said, the biggest downside is that you probably just spun your wheels, that's all. Okay, um, we have a question from uh, Greg Rondo. He is the chair of the planning board. <clears throat> uh, thank you for all the information, Mark. Great presentation. I just had one real quick question. This pertains to mixed use um, we can put mixed-use properties with um, residential, so podium-style buildings with residential above. Uh, it does not have to be mixed-use. The Lincoln Park project down in Dartmouth was mixed-use, but unfortunately, uh, they've not had much success out at that location with the commercial components. In fact, they keep going back and eliminating the first floor commercial use, uh, substituting a pure multifamily standalone building. It, you know, it really is going to be location, location, location. There is no requirement that it be mixed use. It can just simply be, uh, but, it's all about multifamily and, and that can stand alone. But uh, uh, there's a couple parcels that I'm thinking in particular that I think could be a, a good source for mixed use on the lower level in uh, residential on the upper level. So 
it can be utilized that way well. Correct? Definitely. And the, okay. the beauty is that the state really, THCD doesn't really care about the commercial component because, as I said, they're in this for the house. Yeah, but I'm just looking at it as part of the rezoning of the downtown. It'll help downtown infrastructure. You know, it basically get the people back downtown, but also provide a little bit of housing. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think, you know, like I'm familiar with, I'm familiar with a lot of projects that are up in the burbs. 20 years ago, the, the, the people on the board said, oh, what a great idea. Let's do mixed use. Unfortunately, in a lot of those cases, there was just never the, the dynamic uh, necessary for the mixed use component to work. So, for example, down in Ashland, where Fafford has uh, developed a lot of huge condominium projects, now we're talking 400, 500 units, 20,000 square feet set aside for mixed use, never uh, really tenanted at all by anybody. So the space just sort of sits there uh, empty. They met the requirement, they built it, but they've never been able to make it useful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have a question from Beth Worling. She is the clerk of the planning board. Sunshine has a question for you, the ZBA chair. I'm Mark. Uh, 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 <laughs> Mark, let's just get to the meat of this. Uh, uh, chapter 40 uh, is just an uh, avenue in which the town can pr promote some development. They probably wouldn't promote it on their own because they have to be picking a, a certain parcel. Unless the town owned it, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, and if somebody else wants to come in and develop under 40 hours, a big payday for the town, correct? Yeah, you're you're taking it from a positive direction. It also has a negative side. So if I wanted to do in a town under ten percent, if I wanted to do a forty B, I would come to the town and say, Look, I, I, I I'm gonna do this project one way or the other. I can go for a project eligibility letter at Mass Housing and I can do a forty B or we can work together. It's a fifty percent vote at town meeting or town council. 
and you're going to get a million three. So you pick. Uh, there's a lot of that. Hmm. Mike, do we have to do anything? Do we have to adopt chapter 40 hours or is it just an individual parcel uh, property town adopts? No, it's, it, it's just an individual parcel of, of property. So, I mean, that, the first one ever was in Norwood. I did it. It was St. George's Catholic Church. It was the rectory, the church, and the nunnery. I don't know if that was the right thing to call it, but it was 0.75 acres. And, uh, 0.75 acres and 15 units, which which the math worked perfectly on. Awesome. So it can be that small, or it can be, uh, you know, there's a huge one down in uh, Kingston, I think it's 600 units. Okay, thank you. Um, Beth has a, <coughs> a follow-up question. Is there Yes, I mean, uh, we just uh, we just got the North Attleboro one approved, and uh, they, they keep finding money that gets returned from affordable housing projects that don't go forward as housing or other sources. But there's 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 money in the pot; it's, it's never run out. They've always found uh, new funding sources for it. Um, thank you. The, the first thing I do when I when I've got a new a new site is I call Bill Rail at DHCD and I say, Bill, Google Earth, you know this this location. Tell me what you think. And you know usually he can tell me off the top whether or not it's an eligible location or not. And then the second thing I ask him is, do you do you still have money? And he never lied to me. So that's good. That's good news. <laughs> um, I have, um, Mark, I have a, another question for you. So we, I don't know if you know, but your article was in the pamphlet that we were given. Um, and I read through it and I was wondering, one of the things you talked about that there were problems with the with 40R. I was wondering if any of those um, issues that you you noted have been um, addressed and have been, have changed in the, in recent, in the recent 40R. There were some amendments to the statute, oh, maybe around 2013, 14. So some problems have been fixed. Uh, for example, the whole dynamic that I just mentioned about the, the uh, interplay between 40B and 40R. If, if you go too far down the 40B path today and you have a, uh, and you have a, a 40B application pending, and then you try to come in the door for 40R, uh, this doesn't really affect the developer, but the towns will not be given the money because uh, the, the thinking is that you just switched so you could get the money and they don't, for some reason, didn't want that to be the dynamic. So that's one of the more major changes. I, I think it's still pretty random in terms of where these things go. We, we put a drive-in movie theater we knocked it down in Ludenburg, of all places, and um, proposed 204 units of 40-hour housing there. And you know, I can't believe it, but it got built. It's been built for five or ten years, and it seems to be a very successful site. On the other hand, um, I've done work in places like Grafton, and uh, nothing's ever happened. 
So there's some dormant ones out there too. Um, th thank you for the answering that. Does anyone else have any other questions for Mark? Oh, um, Beth Merlin has another question for you. Uh, when you remark on Grafton having dormant <clears throat> projects, what is your thoughts on why the project might stay I didn't hear the, the back end of the question. What was the last few words? Why might a project stay dormant? What was my... Well, so this was uh, at the old Fisherville Mill site. Um, Fisherville Mill burned down in the 90s. 375,000 square foot building. Uh, my client is a re was a resident of Grafton. It was a 21 East site. Uh, essentially, the town gave him the site on tax arrears and he cleaned it up. Uh, it's now clean. It's featured on Grafton's website as a viable commercial opportunity. Hey, come to Grafton, look what we've got ready for you. But the guy that I worked for wants 3.6 million for it. And <laughs> I guess even in these times, that, was, that still is just too much money. Um, is there anyone in um, the chamber? I, I just, I just, I just get the permits. I don't, I don't price it, right? <laughs> hmm. Oh, thank you. Yeah, second. Um. Okay. Uh, Kobe, Kobe Frendelo has a question for you. Yeah. This, this is a, a weirder one, but because this is 20% minimum, and you're saying it really should be 25, if we're going to go, go do it. That would make it not eligible for. Uh, and be meeting our MBTA community requirements. Like we did a if we did an overlay district around our commuter rail. Um, would that automatically make us ineligible for MBTA communities and this could be open to someone else? Right? Because MBTA community says it only counts for 10%. No more than 10%. No, yeah, no more than 10 Yeah, the, the my understanding on MBTA is that the maximum requirement for affordable units is 10% right now. Um, and this is 25, obviously. So a different, different kettle of fish. I think if you're going to do MBTA work, you've got to stick with the, with the guidelines as they were issued back in the fall. And to go deeper, um, I, I know 40R uh, is a zoning change so technically it is eligible for MBTA uh, consideration. But I, I, I don't know how to reconcile the 25% versus the 10%. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hensley? Really? Oh, uh, Jamie. Really quickly, hence the issue with MBTA communities and why you're reading articles in the newspaper with a lot of upset selectmen, elected officials, town managers, planners because now there's a whole set of unforeseen consequences that Mark just eloquently pointed out that with an incoming administration it feels like we're stuck in a doldrum to being told what to do with an ultimatum which has a significant impact to Franklin as we've discussed before where we've gotten six million in MassWorks grants in the last two years but yet nobody's going to change probably any regs anytime soon so we're now caught in a very strange pickle where it feels like the intention was to build more housing around the train stations 
for every good reason, but yet now towns are saying, well, we don't want to do all that overlays, 40 hours. We're already at our, a lot of communities are at their 10%. Um, and so now everybody's just kind of stuck. And so that's the difficulty with uh, Section 3A. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with Jamie more. I, 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 I think that this is, the MBTA thing is a good idea in principle. I recall a train station up on 495, brand new within the past 20 years. I visited it with the Nordbloom company who wanted to do something there with affordable housing. And I went to town hall and I said, what can we do that would make you happy? Brand new train station, let's take advantage of it. They insisted at that time on uh, detached senior uh, housing. And, uh, what, what, these people are 55 and older and they're gonna get on a train to Boston? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> so why, did, why, did, in, why in Massachusetts did we give them a train station in the first place if they didn't realize the, the, you know, the, the uh, importance of it in terms of developing economic growth, education, all the rest of it? So MBTA at least addresses that lack of connection, and I and I congratulate the state for that. But geez, I I don't know how we figure out why doesn't it have a, an affordability requirement much like 40B or 40R? All of this is just perplexing at this point. <laughs> I, I think I, think I know why they don't. But. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is this is going to connect to our inclusionary zoning uh, conversation. But the the reason, in my understanding, that they didn't want it to be more than ten percent is because if you have a higher than ten percent, then you just make it harder to uh, develop. Right? That's that's the fear is that you would essentially, you know, you would zone it to be eligible, but then you would put some affordability requirement that just made it so that no no new buildings would be built. Right? That that's at least their their fear with it. But I, I think regardless, I mean, yeah. We um, and 10% allows you to tread water. So, like one of the conversations right. we're having right now about MBTA community stuff is, you know, you're if you're over 10%, if you're 13%, why do you want more 25% affordable housing projects? Why not just do MBTA with 10%? That allows you to tread water. You've done your part. Um, so, so why not just uh, emphasize the tax benefits to the municipality? of having a pure market rate project or a 10 percent uh, affordable project and be, because the two of those are uh, are sort of at odds it you know the mapc recommendation to do a 40-hour overlay around seems like we have to throw that out the window because that would make us not meta so now i'm thinking all right if we were to ever do 40-hour certainly my mind's thinking about specific parcels and the other one, the other main area that comes to mind would be, you know, your Unionville, your, your Forge Park, um, you know, a long-term future of building that as a, a walkable village. Appreciate your time. This is great. Does anyone in the else in the council chambers have a question for Mark? No, anyone online? I don't know who's on there, if anybody has a question. No, I guess not. Everybody here okay? Okay, very good. Mark, thank you so much for this. 
of informal presentation and um, informational presentation, I mean, and um, it was really great to be able to ask you questions. I think we all learned a lot, and um, it will help us in the future plan um, our direction, where, where we're going. So thank you again, and um, hopefully we'll thank see you. you. Thank, you for, thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for having me, and if, if I can be of any further help, just let me know. Okay, we will. I'm sure we will. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And with that, I think I'll accept a motion to adjourn. <clears throat> All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Thank you, everyone. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.